Tonight we are back in the Psalms and we are looking at Psalm 46. If you want to open up to Psalm 46 in your Bibles, that would be great. The the key picture of Psalm 46 is that of Israel's confident trust in God, even and perhaps especially in the face of serious threats that would turn their world upside down. The psalm depicts both natural and historical forces raging out of control, threatening Jerusalem and its inhabitants. In verses 2 and 3, it's, the, uh, it's natural forces, the forces of nature. It's actually interesting to note that in the ancient world, the mountains were understood to be the anchor to the dry land that protected it from the chaos of the sea, as well as the, the thing that upheld the heavens and protected the earth from the deluge that was held up above. And so when the psalm talks about the mountains being moved into the heart of the sea and the mountains trembling at the sea's swelling, what the psalm is actually depicting is the most cataclysmic event that could be understood in the ancient world. That the world order, the earth, was literally shaken at its foundations and unstable. So order in this verses 2 and 3 is being swallowed up in chaos. And then in verse 6, with the same vocabulary, because in verse 6, it says the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. And the word for rage is the same word that's used in verse 3 for roar about the waters. The word for totter is the same word that's used in verse 2 for the mountains being moved. So it's the same vocabulary. And and the idea is that the forces of history now, instead of just the forces of nature, are threatening the people of God. So it's a situation of kind of catastrophic consequences that the psalmist is facing. But instead of panic and anxiety and fear, and this is where the psalm uh, moves us in the face of these threats, the the psalmist says in verse 2, therefore... We will not fear. We will not fear. We all understand a little bit about fear in our lives, and I hope that we'll address that together tonight. The reason that the psalmist gives for not fearing these catastrophic threats is because of the refrain that's given in this psalm that's beautiful, verse 7 and verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He resides in the temple. That's what the psalmist means. The holy habitation, verse 4, of the Most High. This is a psalm sometimes understood as a song of Zion, a song about Jerusalem, God's chosen city. And therefore, because he's present, the psalmist is saying, in the temple, in the city, we won't fear all of these chaotic forces in nature and history that are going on around us. It's very much like Psalm 23, which actually we echoed in a song earlier that says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? I always say that to my kids when we're reciting that song. Why? Because the next line, because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. As verse 1 of Psalm 46 states, boldly and confidently in faith, he is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now his presence as the one who is present, it, it produces this kind of confident trust in God's people because God is greater than all the foes that we face. And that's the message of the psalm, big or small. And in the psalm, it's dealing with the biggest. uh, You know, you kind of have to imagine, like, uh, we know 10 days from now, a meteor is going to collide with Earth. But we're not going to be afraid. That's the kind of picture that it's giving you. The title, the Lord of hosts, in the refrain, the Lord of hosts is with us, could also be translated the Lord of armies. It evokes a militaristic image of God and his armies who will win the victory over every enemy. He's a conqueror. 
He's a king. We looked at that last week. The victorious, mighty, and powerful king. And it's his voice, verse 6, that causes the earth to melt. Or as we saw in Mark chapter 4 in our gospel reading, causes the chaotic sea to be still. So the psalmist declares, we will not fear. Because God is with us, God is on our side, God is our fortress. And as Paul writes in Romans 8, if God is with us, then who can be against us? That's the question that he raises rhetorically. So here's the first thing that this psalm says to you and to me tonight. It says simply, don't fear. Don't be afraid. God is with you. God is on your side. And the one who's on your side is bigger and more powerful and stronger than anything that threatens you in your life right now. Anything right now that grips you with fear. With a deep-seated kind of insecurity and anxiety. God is bigger than those things. Only you know what these things are in your own life. Maybe it's death. Or sickness. Or the disapproval or the betrayal of someone that you love. Or failure at work. Or a certain vocation that God seems to call you to, but you really don't want it. Or fill in the blank. And let me me note for just a moment that the command not to fear doesn't mean that these threatening realities go away. One of the beautiful things about Psalm 46 is that it upholds these chaotic circumstances around the people of God. And it says, nonetheless, in the midst of these things, not before they've found resolution, we will not fear. Verse 2. While the mountains are trembling... While the sea is raging, while the sky is falling, we will not fear because before any of those things can touch us, even in the darkest places, God is with us and he is our fortress. Back to Mark 4 for just a second. It's interesting that in the the rage of the storm, they get a stern rebuke. You know, I think sometimes we we struggle with how stern Jesus can be. But he's pretty stern with the disciples in this story in Mark chapter 4. Because they're, you know, they're worried about the raging sea around them and they're panicking and they go knock on the stern's door where Jesus is apparently sleeping through the storm. And they say, don't you even care, Master, that we're perishing? And the rebuke that Jesus gives to his disciples is, why are you so afraid? Why are you so filled with fear? Have you still no faith? Jesus is saying, don't don't you see that God, the victorious God, is with you at every point? Don't you know that I'm here in the midst of the chaotic circumstances? That I know, that I see, that I understand the nuances and the fears and the peculiarities of every situation that you're going through? And don't you know that I'm the same God that doesn't allow a hair to fall from your head without permission, without knowing about it? Why are you so afraid? I think Jesus would ask a similar question to us. Why are you so afraid? You know, fear in our lives generally produces a kind of frenetic activity, a striving and a panicking that's intended to insulate ourselves from the source of our fear. And obviously, we don't really consciously think about this, oh yes, I'm afraid, and so I'm doing X, Y, and Z. But it's this kind of thing that can fuel certain activities and and actions and thoughts in our lives. 
this kind of incessant lack of peace, if you will, that's rooted beneath a lot of our activity and what we do. And there's not really any peace, obviously, when that fear is gripping us and constantly besetting us. Even the act of repression of our fears, to get psychoanalytical for just a second, requires a constant state of guardedness. Here's the way one psychoanalyst put it about 60 years ago. He said, quote, We know very well that to repress means more than to put away and to forget that which was put away and the place where we put it. Repression also means to maintain a constant psychological effort to keep the lid on and inwardly never relax our watchfulness. A picture of a constant kind of edginess and guardedness, even in our best ways of repressing our fears. Staying tied up in knots, if you will, to keep our fears at bay. It's no wonder then in Psalm 46, a psalm that's shouting out this confident proclamation, we trust God, our refuge and strength, we will not fear in these things. That when God speaks at the climax, at the end of the psalm, with probably the most well-known verse of this psalm, what does he say? He says, be still. Now, we sometimes think of be still as like, go have a nice quiet time of meditation, you know, in some quiet place. But the the word here for be still really means put down your weapons. It means that after struggling and wrestling and fighting and being bloodied and and filled with sweat, uh, your brow sweating, that it's time finally to give up the fight. Be still, in verse 10, is a divine call upon his people to literally lay down their arms, to unclench the warrior's fist. To stop trying to slay the beast by ourselves or in our own strength. And to release ourselves into God's safe keeping. Into God's sovereign control. Into God's benevolent grace for us as his people. To take refuge in God. To know that he is God as God, Yahweh, goes on to say in this psalm that he is king, that he will be exalted over the historic forces, the nations, that he will be exalted over the natural forces, the earth. That's what, psalm, that's what verse 10 says. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That his ways of peace and of shalom will one day prevail as he makes verses 8 and 9 wars to cease as he breaks the bow as he shatters the spear and burns the chariots with fire all these images of those instruments used for violence and oppression to instill fear in conquered peoples God will break them and so he urges us to be still where do you need to be still in your life I know most of you and I know that we're all running at a frenetic pace. I am preaching to myself here as well. Where is it that you're currently fighting to make something work? To get some result, to eradicate some fear of failure or insignificance or relational emptiness. Psalm 46 calls us to not fear. And as a result of not fearing, to lay down our arms and to stop fighting for ourselves and to know Going to Exodus 14 here for a second. As Moses declared to the people of God at the edge of the Red Sea. To know that the Lord will fight for you. And Moses says to the people. And you only have to be silent. In the midst of those desperate circumstances. Pinned in on the one side by Pharaoh's advancing army. 
and on the other side by the chaotic waters of the sea. We're told by the narrator a few verses earlier in Exodus 14 that the people were greatly afraid. And Moses says to them, fear not. Don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. God with us. God on our side. God, our fortress, makes all the difference for us as his people to not be afraid, to not live in constant activity trying to push our fears out to the side, but to be still, to take refuge, and to be at peace. And we'll see his salvation, the biblical word declares. But sometimes it's a peculiar salvation. Stay with me for a moment. John the Baptist was beheaded in Herod's prison cell. Stephen found his death from stoning at the hands of the religious elite of his day. For Paul, his life was filled with prison cells and shipwrecks, snake bites, and beatings. For Cyprian, it was death at the hands of the Roman emperor. For Cranmer, it was death at the hands of Queen Mary. For Keith Green or Rich Mullins, it was premature death by a plane crash. For 21 Libyan Christian men in February, it was beheading at the hands of ISIS forces. For Jeffrey Quinn, who was a member of this community, it was death by a rapidly progressing cancer a few years ago. For my brother-in-law, just recently, it was being laid off with no warning by a large company for which he had worked for several, many, many years, almost a decade, and always had great reviews. For my 14-year-old niece, it's dealing with an autoimmune disease that's causing her to go blind and facing the possibility of blindness. The point is, and you could fill this in with your own circumstances and stories, that the forces of history and the forces of nature seem to win a lot. And they seem to prevail over us and over our loved ones, not infrequently. And because of that, it often doesn't seem like we're more than conquerors, as Paul writes in Romans 8. And in light of the data of experience, it seems sometimes like God isn't a very present help in trouble. And so I want to ask the question, because I want us to be honest at Church of the Cross. How are we not to be afraid, as the psalm urges us to, when these kinds of things happen to us and to our loved ones and to fellow Christians and to everyday people in the world quite regularly? How is it that we can believe in and join in the psalmist's confident cry of confident proclamation of trust and not just be cynical? Is it possible to really trust God, to really be fearless in the life that we're called to live and be still in a world in which such terrible things happen to us, our family, our friends, and even strangers? And I bring these questions up because I know that you're asking them. We're all asking those questions, these honest questions. And it helps very little inside the church if we just kind of push on with the great victorious message of Psalm 46 and ignore the data of everyday life. I want to ask the deeper, so how do we live this truth? How do we embrace the confident cry of Psalm 46 as God's people in today's world? How do we not fear and be still and remain trusting? In a world that seems to contradict that. When the sea doesn't part. And we don't walk through on dry ground. But we drown. Even the confidence that Jerusalem is protected by God's presence. 
is shaken when the Babylonians sack Jerusalem in 587 BC. And the Psalter, if we look at the whole book of the Psalms, is honest about that reality, particularly if we look at Psalm 74 or Psalm 79, these exilic Psalms that lament before God because Jerusalem has been destroyed. So how can we stand strong as the people of God in trust when there are casualties all around us? This is what I want to do to close. There there are two keys that I want to suggest to us. Believing that as we address the harder question, actually it will enable us even more to embrace the exhortation and the urging of Psalm 46 to to, to, to not fear and to be still as God's people. The first thing is, the first key here is is the resurrection of Jesus. And I mean this. This isn't just kind of something we're talking. This is at the heart of our profession of faith. This is why we gather on Sundays. This is what we celebrate week after week is that Jesus rose from the dead. And it's this resurrection that anchors our hope and our hearts In the mighty and victorious power of God who does in fact rule and reign as the world's sovereign king. Jesus risen from the grave demonstrates once and for all that God's victory is complete over sin and evil and death. We sang at the beginning of this service Martin Luther's famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, which he wrote based upon Psalm 46 verse 1. And he has this important little line in the hymn about our enemy. It says, his rage, that is our enemy's rage, we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. What makes our enemy's doom sure is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is risen means that every apparent victory of the hostile forces, be they of nature or of history that impact our lives or our community or our world, will not ultimately prevail. They don't have the last word. That God in Christ has won the victory and the victory assures us that God will be exalted among the nations and that God will be exalted in the earth and that God's ways of righteousness and justice and peace that we see so beautifully of peace in Psalm 46 will prevail. And here's what I want to put to you, this first key, is just affirming that reality that God raised Jesus from the dead in the face of any and every catastrophe or trouble that we face. And think of those things right now in your life. Is absolutely critical for us to not fear and to be still. On April 8th, 1945, Bonhoeffer's last words as he was about to take a bullet from a Nazi firing squad were this. This is the end. For me, the beginning of life. The resurrection in that moment was the way in which he was able to face the catastrophic events that he was looking at. And not just at the end, but for his entire witness of his being a prisoner. It's a way of saying that whatever we're facing right now is not the end, is not the final word, isn't the ultimate reality. God has declared the end, and it's life, and it's full life, and it's rich life, it's abundant life, it's eternal life. And that anchors our trust. 
Here's the second key. God isn't merely just concerned with our ultimate future of resurrection. But he's also concerned for us with the here and now. The victorious and resurrected Jesus promises at the end of Matthew 28 to be with us always, even to the end of the age. The key in Psalm 46 for trust is the fact that the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He's with us in Psalm 46 again in the temple. So whereas in the psalm it's his presence which was contained in the temple, in the physical temple. God's presence now by his Holy Spirit resides in us, his people. We have become the temple of Jerusalem. We are living stones being built together into a dwelling place for God. And what Jesus says at the end of Matthew 28, that I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, begins to be fulfilled at the day of Pentecost as God's presence comes and resides in us as his children. And we become his dwelling place, the temple on earth. No longer the temple constrained in one physical location, but now the temple living and breathing in people made in his image. And so when Paul says in Romans 8 that we're more than conquerors, And remember, he's the one who had encountered beatings and hardships and stonings and betrayals and physical ailments. What he declares in Romans 8 is that God is with us. But he says it like this. He says, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor principalities, nor life, nor death. What Paul doesn't say is that those catastrophic circumstances are gone from his life. But he says and declares that in the midst of them, that nothing can bring a separation between us and this great and mighty conquering king whose love has been given over to us in his son Jesus. Which means whatever it is that ails you, whatever it is that evokes fear in you and in your life, whatever it is that that evokes shame in you, that plagues your thoughts and your dreams, you need to know in the midst of those circumstances, however they're impacting your life right now, that God doesn't just promise to overcome them in the resurrection, which he will, but that God also is right now with you. He's right there. You can't escape, as the psalmist prophetically in many ways says in Psalm 139, his spirit. You can't go to the darkness. You can't go to the heights or the depths. You can't go anywhere without being in his presence. He's there with you. He dwells with you. And he doesn't leave you alone to face these things. Whatever it is that you feel, we declare this together as a people. That this God is with us in any and every circumstance. That his grace is sufficient for us and that his power is made perfect in our weakness. So his victory is assured in the resurrection. His presence is with us by the Holy Spirit. And this victorious one is then, yes, our very present help in trouble. Always present. Always assisting us by his grace. So we can say in the face of any kind of the data of experience that we encounter, we will not fear. Or with Martin Luther, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Last thing I want to say is this requires, obviously, faith. The assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. 
It's exactly that lack of faith that Jesus criticizes his disciples for in Mark chapter 4 that leads to their fear. Faith is the eyes to see beyond the external, to see what God has done and is doing, and to affirm that in the face of any and every circumstance. It's not, faith isn't playing make-believe. It's not just kind of wishful thinking, but it's anchoring ourselves in the deepest realities of the universe, that God is here, that God wins, and that God is for us. Those are the deep affirmations of faith, and they're the most real things of the world that you live in, but you can't see them. And a lot of times you don't feel them. Faith, Hebrews says, believes that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It's that kind of faith that inspires trust. That's the bedrock behind the proclamation of Psalm 46 that demolishes fear. It's that kind of faith that is the badge of God's people. The marker that leads us to follow the life of Jesus, faithful to the end, whatever end it is that God determines that that is for us, and faithful to be delivered out to the other side. Therefore, we will not fear. God is with us. God is present in the midst of everything that we face. Amen.